this week, Anastasius. Hello and welcome to American... No? No. <laughs> I knew that happened at some yeah. point. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine XI. And here we are on episode 89, Anastasius. Ooh, who's he? <laughs> you won't have heard of him before. Nope. Um, because I've never mentioned him before. Was he mentioned in the last episode? No. Okay. No. He's a surprise emperor. <gasps> surprise! Oh, yay! He was wheeled in on a cake. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Is he baked in the cake? <laughs> That's a very short reign, if you will. That's a... That's a sad surprise for whoever organised <laughs> or... the party. <laughs> anyway, who is he? Well, he is the last of the Leonid dynasty. Leonid, oh, yeah. from Leo. Yeah, from Leo. We go into something new next time. So he's the last one. Um, like I say, didn't mention him last time, so let's find out who he is, shall we? Mm. Here we go. In approximately 430-431, a boy was born with one black eye and one blue. Oh, a bit like David Bowie. Really? He's got a uh, he had a brown and a blue eye. I just thought eyes. that was like makeup for all this. No, no, no. no. Yeah, I think yeah. I think got it from a fight or someone punched him in the eye and it somehow changed. I'm not sure. I can't remember the story behind it. You might have been born with it. But he definitely had a blue and brown eye. Okay. The listeners will agree with me on that. I just thought that was makeup. No. Yeah. Well there you go then. This is called heterochromia. When you're born with more than one coloured pupil. Can affect other things as well. Especially but... worse when your eye ch- 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 changes. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is the episode now. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> he is David Bowie. Right. Yeah, he was nicknamed Two Pupiled. But. Which isn't a great nickname, is it? No, I have two pupils. Yeah. Everyone uh, does. But in Greek, you're going to love this. Oh, go on. Two Pupiled is Dicarus. <laughs> 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 yeah. Is that his nickname? That that was his nickname, yes. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. I seem to remember when we did Pupionus Maximus, <laughs> I joked that we'll have a, a willy related emperor in the Byzantines. Well there you go. We oh, him already. <laughs> Dickius, that's fantastic. Yeah. However, his real name was Flavius Anastasius, and he was born in Doriacum, which is modern Albania. To a rich family. But that's about all we know. We know very, very little about his early life. We do know, however, that this was uncertain times. Attila was about to come storming out of the Danube and start terrorising mm. the Romans. Anastasius would have grown up with the fear of the Huns all around him. Yeah, that's true. And there you go. That That's his youth. That's okay. all we've got. That's also his midlife as well. Okay. Did he join the army and rise through the ranks, do you think? No. Uh-oh. No. What? No. Oh, there you go. Maybe we do know a little bit more. We know apparently he was very handsome, but a bit dull. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's a shame. He was a, a serious man. He obviously survived the turmoil of the Huns, and at some point moved to Constantinople and got a job in the Imperial Palace. Namely, in the Finance Department. Oh, fun. Abacus out. Oh, yes. Locked and loaded. <laughs> you really get the impression that he wore a pinstripe suit. Oh, yeah. A brown one. Yeah. With yellow thin stri- pinstripes. Yeah. He rationed out his smiles. Made, oh. a, made a log of them. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> had to really earn that smile. Yeah. In my head, he is just Barty Crouch. Yeah. 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 Harry, yeah. Harry Potter reference for those yeah. of you who are somehow not read Harry Potter. Anyway, yeah. 
Serious man. Serious business. Oh, dear. Presumably, this was uh, during Leo's reign. Certainly, he had risen to the top during Zeno's reign. So mm. he was just lurking in the background and has been for the last couple of episodes. The fact that he didn't crop up at all during the mayhem of Zeno's rule indicates that he just kept his head down and uh, organised the finances, counted those beans. Fun. Oh, yeah. The only thing he liked more than counting was religion. He regularly attended services and even gave teachings in the churches, something that he technically wasn't supposed to do because he wasn't, like, a member of the clergy or anything. Just passionate. You know? Yeah, he was passionate, and uh, he was very serious, so you didn't want to interrupt him. Oh, and they tried to. They yeah. said, get down. Oh. Stop linking every Bible story into counting. <laughs> You'll get it. He fed 5,000, but you don't need to go into the details of the division. <laughs> and of course, in this day and age, it was not possible to be religious without upsetting somebody. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the patriarch, so head bishop under Zeno, expelled him from the church. They just had enough of him. Get off the stage. Yeah. You're banned. There's a chance that he wanted a career in the church at some point. His name was possibly linked to uh, become head bishop in Antioch. But uh, nothing came of it. No. No. It's probably too boring. And there you go, that, that is everything we've got for the first 60 years of his life. I was forgetting for 60. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. He's boring guy. <laughs> he, he looked good, though. Mm. He made boring sexy. Oh, just yeah. When he's six, like you know, white silver hair. Oh yeah, it was silver fox with his two different coloured eyes. Oh yeah, he's like Majorian's grandfather. Nice. Yeah, it's a bit like his golden years <laughs> yeah. when he hit sixty. Yeah. Okay. Before we look at Anastasius's reign, let's have a quick look at the end of Zeno's reign in a little bit more detail, just to see how on earth this accountant became emperor. Hmm. Now, if you remember, Zeno had a son with his first wife. Yes. Yes, I never really mentioned him again. He was also called Zeno. Apparently, he didn't really impress his father, and when he died young, Zeno wasn't too upset that his successor was now his brother, Longinus. <laughs> yes, he's back. Yay. <laughs> oh, Dickus Longinus. Yes. <laughs> However, not long after Zeno heard a prophecy that one of his personal entourage would succeed him not a family member. Ooh. Now, Zeno had a personal entourage of about 30 people, but Zeno decided that the prophecy must be talking about one man and one man only, Pelagius, who was the patrician. Pelagius. Pelagius was arrested immediately and killed. How unfair is that? Yeah, he, he was... He probably had an idea what was going on. I was like, well, I'm not doing anything. What? Who? Mystic Medsec said what? It's yeah. you? Big thing. What? <laughs> Yeah, the, um, this move didn't please the people in Constantinople. Uh, Pelagius was apparently quite popular. Zeno was never hugely popular. Remember, he was an Isaurian. He never really won the people over. No, he, no, he did a decent job, but he was never like number one on, on yeah. people's top emperor lists that they kept at home. Mm. Soon after, Zeno died, and the people had decided that they had had enough. The next day, the senators, the ministers, members of the court, and Ariadne, wife of Zeno, met in the palace. While at the same time, a crowd gathered at the Hippodrome. It was quickly decided that Ariadne should lead some ministers to, to go down to the crowds and just uh, make sure they remain calm. Yeah. I'd love to have seen that vote. <laughs> who, who wants to go to the mob? Um, send the woman! <laughs> 
Yeah. Ariadne arrived, delivered a short speech, said the new emperor would be chosen, who was, and I quote, endowed with every Roman virtue and would be free from every human vice. Oh. The crowd reacted how you'd probably expect a crowd to react to that. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Really, you're going to find someone that good, are you? A perfect perfect person because we can all see the royal family i mean come on yeah <laughs> inbred yeah. hicks ariadne then stressed that the choice would come from the senate the army the ministers and the patriarch in short everyone would have a say yeah and the people needed just just give them a little bit of time come on guys this isn't easy throw us a bone yeah the crowd still grumbled that the government was corrupt, however. Years of anti-Isaurian feelings were mm. coming to the surface, and the crowd started to demand, and I quote, no foreigner be imposed on the Romans. After announcing a couple of crowd-pleasing appointments to lower offices, just to sugarcoat it slightly, mm. Ariadne left the Hippodrome, and the crowd were mollified slightly, but... Yeah. Grumbles still. Yeah. So back at the palace, frantic discussions took place. Longinus was the heir, and obviously the next emperor. There was no question about that. Yeah. But Ariadne and the others did question this. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, like they realised if if we announce that it's Longinus, then um, things things won't go well. What do you think? How happy he is at the moment? Yeah. In his room, all getting his purple robe out. Yeah. Had it custom made. His big grin. Really excited. Yeah. I'll be crushed. Oh, yes, he will be. <laughs> yeah. Instead, they look around for someone who could be relied upon. Someone who would get the job done. No fuss. Yeah. Someone that no one would object to because no one had a reason to object. Yeah. In the end, the final decision was left to Ariadne. Perhaps it's just a coincidence, then, that she chose the good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh... Ooh, who's that silver fox over there? <laughs> yeah. Look at the way he moves that abacus. Woof. <laughs> Yes. Slide that bead. Well, Anastasius was the perfect choice. He was upright, unbending, hardworking, and look at those eyes. Oh, get lost Ooh. in them. Yeah. Anastasius was sent for. This is ground control to Major Tom. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, he was elevated to the purple in a ceremony that involved lifting him up on shields and wearing red boots and all sorts of fun stuff. So he's literally elevated. Literally elevated. Mm -hmm. The crowd shouted, Rain as you have lived! And interestingly, Rain like Marcion, which uh, indicates that Leo and Zeno really hadn't impressed the populace. No. No. In order to make the elevation seem more secure, he then married Ariadne a few weeks later. Oh, yeah. she put herself in that position, didn't she? Oh, yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> I can choose anyone, you say. <laughs> Brilliant. What about this accountant? <laughs> He's dishy. Yeah. However, not everyone was happy. And to understand why, we need to look into a couple of things before we continue the narrative. The first thing we need to look at yeah. is monophysitism. Oh, what's that, Rob? Monophysitism. Mon monophysitism. Yes. <laughs> right, um, I'm going to try really hard not to fall down a theology rabbit hole here, but we do need to know the basics to understand uh, why certain people act in certain ways to Anastasius. Right, okay. the Monophysites believed that Christ had one nature, hence the mono. Yeah. That nature was divine. Yeah? Yeah. Good. This came as a backlash against the Nestorians, who I mentioned a few episodes ago. They stated that Christ had two natures, human and divine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that... Yo, yeah? Mm. Mm, yeah. That yeah. is a, not really a problem, but yeah. Well, it was for these people. Yeah. 
Yeah. As with all of these theological debates, there's a lot that was political rather than theological. Always is. As well as men trying to further their own careers by advancing certain causes. A lot mm. of one-upmanship, but there was also a lot of deep-seated real passion as well. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. People took this seriously. Mm. All we need to know for now is that monophysitism was seen as heretical by most in Constantinople, but it certainly had its supporters, including Basiliscus. If you remember last week, I mentioned he supported a type of Christianity that was frowned upon. Yeah, he's the idiot, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's supported monophysitism. Okay. At the end of Zeno's episode, I mentioned that he created an act of union to try and calm down tensions. This oh, was yeah. called the Henoticon. This is a document that declared that Christ was begotten from God, one and not two, full stop. Tried to mollify the growing factions. The word nature just wasn't mentioned in the kind of hope that... <laughs> yeah, everyone it, forget. Yeah, it would just go away. Yeah. As with all compromises, though, it pleased those in the middle, but the uh, the hardliners on either side did not like the Heneticon at all. No. No. So the Monophysites and the hardline Orthodox clergy members were, were less than pleased with how things were going. Fair enough. Anastasius, despite being very popular for his uh, getting on with it attitude, was known to have Monophysite sympathies. So uh, we've got someone who's generally well-respected, but he's uh, not got the right religion, shall we say. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's an excuse for people to rise against him and get him killed, basically. Well, we'll see. Because the second thing you need to know about is the blues and the greens. Are these the chariot race people again? Oh, yes. Yay! Yeah, they're back. The last time we really stopped to look at the chariot racing teams was way back in the Antonine Age. I was going to say, um, Domitian last one? Ah, yes. Well, Domitian introduced the golds and the purples, but they disappeared almost immediately. (laughs) The reds, the whites, the blues and the greens were the main teams Mm. uh, back in the Antonine Age. But by this point, the whites and the reds pretty much disappeared. They're they're just not as big in any way. As the the blues and the greens. In fact, there's a, some theory that they had been fully assimilated into the other two teams. Oh. So you now have the blues and the greens. Oh. Now it would appear during the crisis of the third century uh, or the upheaval that happened, chariot racing kind of lost its prestige slightly, or people just stopped writing about it because everyone was running around because there was a crisis on. It's it's hard to tell. Might just be lack of sources, but yeah. we don't hear as much about chariot racing for a while. However, with the rise of Constantine, the building of Constantinople, chariot racing was once again at the forefront of the sporting calendar. Yay. Gladiatorial combat, as we've seen, was uh, on the decline. It was not Christian to kill each other for sport. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sport, sports. The Olympic Games were seen as pagan, so um, they put a stop to that, Theodosius did. Really? Oh, yes. No more Olympics. It was a pagan festival. Sport festival. <laughs> pagan. <laughs> That's why they burn all the people in the wicker men at the start of the festivities. Did you not see it last time? No. No. It's burning the torch. There's any people in there. Yeah. I heard screaming, but I thought it was just sound effects. No, no. It's, uh, wow. It's, it's real. Brutal. Yeah. Anyway, that's gone. It <laughs> um, <laughs> doesn't, come, doesn't come back for a while. Uh, so chariot racing uh, is, is very popular. It grows and it grows again. Now, the reason why it's important to know about the blues and the greens is that in the near two centuries since Constantine the Great, the blue and green teams have grown beyond sporting teams. 
They are now full-on factions with political and governmental roles. Oh dear. The leaders were appointed by the government, and they were tasked with duties such as manning the walls. Hmm. Essentially, they were proto-political parties slash potential militias. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, with strong binds to each other. They were known as deems. Okay. And uh, the deems <clears throat> wore similar clothing and hairstyles to each other. There was a, a lot of cultural identity if you were a supporter or a member of a deem. So like the sharks and the jets from West Side Story kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Similar haircuts. Well, funny you should mention the haircuts. <gasps> we have a description. We don't oh. know if this is the blues or the greens. Yeah. But apparently, and I quote, <laughs> they did not touch the moustache or beard at all, wanting the hair to grow out as long as possible, as is custom amongst the Persians. But the hair on the head they cut in the front as far as the temples while letting it hang out long at the back for no particular reason. <laughs> so basically almost like a mini mullet. Oh yeah, either the greens or the blues all have mullets. And Excellent. big handlebar moustaches. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So I'll let you choose whether that's the blues or the greens. Oh, actually, no, hear more about them first okay. so then I can decide. There was no fixed political ideology in the Deems. Uh, instead, their political views shifted, usually just to rival the other Deem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you believe this? Well, we believe something else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. At this time, however, of Anastasius, the Blues generally sided with the aristocracy and the Greens sided with the merchants and the civil servants. Hmm. Blues had more of an orthodox view of Christianity. The Greens were more sympathetic with the Monophysites. Hmm. Although it should be noticed that these are not fixed views at all. There are exceptions no. on both sides, but generally that's how it was. So the down. Greens were more like the rebels, which makes yeah. me think porno, moustache and mullet. Yeah, yeah. In my head, the Greens have the mullets and yeah. the big moustaches. Yeah. I think blues more blues. shorter hair. Pen pencil moustache. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Or those little tiny soul patch beards. Like the um, the Capulets and the... Yes, the, like Tibble. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Oh, who, who directed that film? Baz Luhrmann. Yes, yeah, in his version, yeah. Cuban. <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks. So, yeah, I think the blues had a certain Latin feel to it, <laughs> and uh, the the greens were just miners from Yorkshire. Right, duck. Yeah. <laughs> Fetch the horse. <laughs> Get on back. I think that's how it worked. <laughs> Joffinek is going fast. Slow down, Nelly. <laughs> So yeah, it's perhaps better to think of the Deems as a, a cross between a modern political party and a modern sports fan base with weapons. Oh dear. Yeah. Like Millpool weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Or the Oakland Raiders for American listeners. I don't know if that's true, but I will trust your judgment on that. Apparently they're, they're like the Millwall of the US. Do they have a reputation? They have a reputation. Right. Okay. They're my team. Are they your team? Yeah, I did a BuzzFeed quiz on what NFL, NFL team I should support, and I got I got the Oakland Raiders. Oh, right. But they're that's... really bad. Oh, that's a shame. Not as bad as the Browns. Who? The Cleveland Browns. Right. I don't okay. think they won a single match all last season. <laughs> Check me out with my knowledge. I, I am slightly afraid. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I'm just remembering the uh, quiz we did on can you name what sports team <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like Ooh. yeah your knowledge has clearly improved since then only in American mine's, football mine's not no anyway back to the deems the reason why you need to know about the deems is that Longinus <laughs> was a big fan of chariot racing and have publicly supported both deems financially and just like morally <laughs> it makes sense though because you want them to keep going oh yeah yeah definitely that's, that's good yeah so both deems like Zeno's brother 
and they were not happy with Longinus being passed over. So, knowing that these two huge factions don't like him, and also the fact that he's a religion that most people find heretical, let's see how his reign goes, shall we? Oh dear. Yeah. It's not long before the riots started. (laughs) Yeah. The Isaurians and members of the Deems had started to stir up trouble. Statues of ex-emperors were defaced and dragged through the streets. Riots flared up all over the place. Anastasius was able to crack down on this eventually. A number of people died as a result, however. Oh. He announced that the Isaurians that he believed were behind the riots were banished. Longinus himself was sent to Alexandria and bishoped. Ooh, yeah. So, there you go. Sort that one out quite quickly. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. That's better than I was imagining. The rest of the Isaurians, understandably, uh, did not take kindly to this. They headed back to Isauria and raised a real army. <laughs> yeah. Anastasius was forced to meet this with an army of his own. He sent out the forces under two generals, both called John. Oh, John the Scythian and John the Hunchback. <laughs> yeah. Both John the General, which is quite yeah. nice. Yeah, it's quite nice. The battle was fierce. By the end, the Isaurians, however, were defeated. So much so, they never really managed to regroup, fleeing to the mountains of Isauria, where they engaged Imperial forces for several years, because they wow. dug in there, but eventually <clears throat> they do give up. The Isaurians are no longer a faction in Constantinople. I imagine they turn into creatures like Gollum, who just live in caves. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. <coughs> Still, Anastasius had put down the Isaurian faction, well done there, many of whom he now settled in Thrace, so they didn't all live in the caves. Becoming Gollum, he separated them out a bit, so they couldn't build up their power again. Fish is precious. Yeah. There was still trouble at home, however, as murmurs of Anastasius's monothocyte leanings started to swell. In the end, the Patriarch of Constantinople practically dared Anastasius to sign that he was a supporter of the Orthodox Church and not a monophysite. Ooh, God dare you. Double dare you. What do you think he does? I think he does. Yeah, straight away. As a pragmatic man, he didn't even hesitate. He just signed it. Doesn't really stop the murmuring, but it did quieten it a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. With the Isaurians dealt with and the murmurings quiet, and Anastasius is then able to start ruling without fear of immediate uprising. However, the Deems were still causing some problems on a regular basis. After arresting several green leaders for instigating unrest, Anastasius was pelted with stones from the green faction. A man threw a stone that very nearly hit the emperor. He was hacked to pieces on the spot. Oh (laughs) my... Yeah. The only sensible response to this, by the Greens, was to... Start attacking more. Set fire to the Hippodrome. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yet another fire started to spread throughout the capital. (laughs) They're enjoying their fires recently, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. Riots stopping the attempts of those trying to douse the flames. This soon got out of hand. Another big fire. You can tell they're the rebels, aren't they? However, you say this, despite all this the Greens start to slowly change their mind about the Emperor. Mm. For a start, he was obviously a closet monophysite, and the Greens had monophysite leanings themselves. Mm, That's true. Also, Anastasius started introducing several laws that really helped industry and the economy. The Greens appreciated someone who knew how to keep the economy ticking over. It took a while, but eventually, the Greens found themselves supporting the new Emperor. That's good. During all this was the introduction of a new group of barbarians. Yay! They're going to stay for a while. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. We have got the Bulgars. The 
Bulgars. Yes. That sounds like such a barbarian name, doesn't it? <laughs> it's good. That's almost stereotypical. Yeah. Now, as with the Huns, we don't really know where the Bulgars came from in any detail. Early theory was that they came over with the Huns, and after the fall of Attila, they splintered off. More modern theory is that they were forced to migrate due to the Huns growing in power. More than likely, they came from the steppes of Asia in the mid to late 400s. Okay. In 480, Zeno hired some of them to cause trouble for Theoderic Strabo. You remember, Zeno yeah. and Strabo did not get on, so no, they didn't. they've uh, they've been around. But as we saw last week, Strabo died. Theoderic the Great took over, and the Goths all moved to Italy on a big happy holiday. <laughs> no one was disturbing the Danube area anymore. Oh, Isn't that nice? So the Bulgars decide to step up. <laughs> yes. At the start of his reign, Anastasius received word that he had lost a small army to these new barbarians. But being a practical man, he raised some troops and he sent them out to deter the Bulgars from raiding. Did it work? No, this was a complete failure. Several thousand men were lost in battle. Oh dear. The Bulgars had proved that they were just as tough as the Huns when they wanted to be. Anastasius realises he's, he's got to do something here. But he was somewhat distracted by the screams outside his window. <laughs> yeah. Because in 501, guess what? Another riot started. Yay! Between the Deems at a festival. Oh, of course. This seems just to have been factional fighting, as far as we can tell, just because they didn't like each other, rather than the protest against the Emperor. When Anastasius received news that one of his illegitimate sons had died in the fighting, however, Ooh. he was not best pleased. He frowned. Oh, yes. He moved one bead across in his uh, illegitimate son abacus that he's got. <gasps> On the light side, the dead side. Yeah. Oh. You've got to keep count of your illegitimate <laughs> sons. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, he, he banned the festival. No longer could that happen. It was causing too much unrest. I am banning Fight Fest. <laughs> it was just a silly festival. <laughs> yeah. Asking for trouble. Yeah, as you can imagine, this didn't please the masses, but it did calm things down for a while. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Bulgars. Anastasius knew that the Bulgars could not take the city, the walls of Constantinople, as we know, were far too strong. So, he thought, why not extend that? You mean invite them in to live, or to extend the walls, like spread the city out? More the second one than the first oh, one. okay. Yes. As we've discussed, Constantinople was built on the tip of a peninsula, so defending it was much easier than most cities. You just needed to defend one side. Yeah, that's true. So, he reasoned, if this works for the tip of the peninsula, why not for the whole peninsula? we got more area to cover. Yeah, about 40 miles west of the city, a new wall was built that was about 35 miles long. Wow. Making it second to only Hadrian's Wall in terms of defensive walls built in Europe in ancient times. Was it a good wall? Was it as good as the rest? The wall itself, as far as we can tell, was a decent wall. Made out of brick? Um, earth and brick. Hastily put together, though. Oh, no, it seems to have taken quite a while to build. There is mm. some evidence that it started being built in uh, Zeno's time. Oh, okay. Uh, but Anastasius was the one who really pushed for it and built it up. So, yeah, no, th this seems like a good wall. Hmm. It gave Constantinople a second line of defence. It also protected many of the farms that fed the capital. Oh. However, your scepticism is well justified. Yes. Because uh, it's just really hard to man a wall that's that long. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a, long, a longer area to protect and defend. Yeah, so it just wasn't really very practical, unfortunately. Advantage. But it did give everyone the feeling that something was being done. And that is almost just as important. That's true. Yeah. 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 
Also, if there's any doubt in anyone's mind that Constantinople is just Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings. It is. Yeah, I think this settles it. This is clearly the Great Wall that surrounds the Pelennor Fields, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I actually did a, a little bit of research, because I remember mentioning that before and saying I'm sure lots of people have said this before. I didn't see anything on the internet that links Constantinople really? and Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith and Ravenna, interestingly enough, but that's like surrounded by marshes. That's... Hmm. Well, I'm pushing the theory anyway. That's a good theory. It makes, I, I, I it makes like perfect the theory. Sense. Anyway, whether due to the wall or for other reasons uh, that we're unaware of, the Bulgars seem to disappear for a while. Maybe they saw the wall and went, whew, whew got a length for that. Oh, intimidating. Let's go home. It's just as well the Bulgars went home because the Persians are back. Yay! Yeah, we've not seen the Sassanid Persians for a while, have we? No. No, for a time, we got to know their king of kings like we knew the emperors. Yeah. The fights between the two empires filled most of the episodes for a while. Yeah. Yeah. The last time we really saw fighting between the two was between Sharpor II and Julian slash Jovian. Yeah. We've seen some skirmishes since then, squabbling over Armenia, a short war that Marcion didn't fight in. Uh, but mainly, things have been peaceful between the two empires for a surprisingly long amount of time. Yeah. Want to hazard a guess why? They've been building up their armies, well, focusing. No, no. There Plague, are recovering. Obviously many reasons. Uh, of course, yeah. Religious reasons, economical, political, yeah, etc. Et et but the main reason yeah. was the Huns. Oh, okay. The Huns, as we saw, did not just attack the Romans, but the Persians as well. They were just as devastating to the King of Kings as they were to the Emperors. Wow. Just like in Rome, the Persians were asked to pay a price to stop any unpleasantness. That's brilliant. And just like the Romans, the Persians paid up. Mm. Due to all of this, neither empire was able to take advantage of the weakness of the other. However, as the power of the Huns waned, tensions started to flare up again. During the reign of Leo, a Persian envoy arrived to complain how the Zoroastrians were treated in Rome, and also to ask for some money to defend some land on the border of their two empires from raids. Leo listened, gave the money, and sent the envoy on his way. That's nice. Keep things peaceful. Yeah. So over the next few years, the Romans would pay the financially struggling Persians to defend the Caucasian passes. Uh, this was a diplomatic move that pleased everyone. The Romans did not want the land raided, nor did the Persians. The Romans would pay, the Persians would defend, everyone's happy. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Over time, these payments essentially became payments from Rome to help pro-Roman Persian rulers to stay in power. Yeah. Or at least keep anti-Roman leaders from getting into power. Yeah. Yeah. So the the Romans were were giving the Persians a bit of a bong just to keep the peace, essentially. Fair enough. However, in 483, a date rolled by that few people had in their diaries, but some did. As I'm sure you're fully aware, in 483, Mm. it was exactly 120 years since the defeat of Jovian, when he handed over Nisibis to the Persians. Of course, yes. Yes, which is amazing. That's 120 years gone. Wow. Well, it was a long time we did Jovian's episode, but... It felt like 120 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, with all the horrible scene, if you remember where he turned up in the city and they all went, oh, you've come to save us, and he had to say, no, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I've given you Can you go Persians. past, guys? Avoid eye contact. Well, why is it important that 120 years has passed? Because, according to some Roman lawyers, Jovian had signed a treaty with the Persians that stipulated that the Persians would give the city fort back... In 120 years. The Persians would give it back to the Romans. Yeah. This wasn't 
a giving to the Persians. This was a loan for 120 years of the fort. Did, did the, have the Persians like lost their, their <laughs> copy? They go, oh, we have no idea. Sorry. Well, yeah, interestingly, the Persians had a look at their paperwork. They just could not find this clause anywhere. <laughs> I don't really know what you're talking about there. Sorry, guys. But they were fairly certain Jovian said they could just have it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we obviously have no way of telling who's telling the truth here. I'm suspicious of the Romans in this case, though. <laughs> yeah. It's a very weird day, 120 years. Why not 100 years? Or... I thought that, but then there was the uh, the idea that after 120 years, there definitely will be no one alive that's alive now. So maybe that sort of date was chosen. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But still. I'd be true, true, 100 years, though, back then. Probably, yeah. More than likely. Play it safe. Unless you're a child. Yeah. Now, Nisibis, obviously, a hugely important fort that protected the entrance to the Mesopotamian region. Mm. Uh, Nebuside want to give up this fort. Both sides want to own this fort. Tensions simmered. When the Persians asked for more money to protect the Caucasian passes, Zeno was now in charge. And he replied that, of course, you can have the money. Take it from the taxes of Nisibis. After all, that was rightfully Roman money. Oh... Tensions simmered. The king of kings at this point was a man named Kavad. Kavad. And he had just survived a coup attempt and was looking to reassert power. The power of the royal family in the Persian Empire had been waning over the last few decades, and Kavad was determined to set this back on the right track. <laughs> the main problem he had was that he had employed the Huns, or the Ephelites as they were known in this region, to help restore him to the throne after a two-year uprising. Ah. He therefore owed a lot of powerful people a lot of money. <laughs> the best way to get that money is to do what the Persians have been doing for a while, ask the Romans for some cash. Mm. By this point, Anastasius is on the throne, so we've caught up. Anastasius no longer had a Hun problem, and being an accountant, he was naturally careful with his money. <laughs> he could not see the benefit of appeasing a Persian empire anymore. After all, they still had Nisibis. The Romans wanted it. Why should we give you money? So he sent a reply to Kavad saying, of course you can have the money if you ask for it publicly. Oh, humiliation. Oh, yes. That's nice. Obviously. Because he knew they wouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, obviously, the Persian leaders had not been making it public that they were relying on Roman nice. money. That's not what you want to do. No. Yeah. Kavad, outraged, and in a bind, realised there's only one thing he can do here. He had to raise money, and he had to keep the Ephelites at bay, and he needed to mollify his already unrestful empire. Well, nothing gains money and creates solidarity like war. Yeah. 502, the Romans and the Persians go to war for the first time in 80 years. Wow. The Persians took the Romans by surprise, Anastasius perhaps not realising things would escalate so quickly. Perhaps he didn't realise how precarious Kavad's position was. The Persians entered, of course, Armenia. <laughs> they took several cities after sieging them. One, because the monks on guard duty were too drunk to notice the surprise attack. <laughs> just sitting there, flagons in hand, singing songs, army yeah. marching past, just below, but you can see the spears and the chunk chunk of armour, and they don't even notice. Well, I thought that, and I thought that was ridiculous, and I looked into it a bit more detail. This wasn't a surprise attack in the sense that the armies took the city by surprise. Mm. The army had already been there for weeks. Oh. This was mid-siege. Oh, okay. oh brilliant. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. 
and the the people on guard duty who apparently were monks just uh, thought, yeah, let's just get drunk. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> we can't open the door. It's the pizza. <laughs> pizza delivery. Yeah. Who wants a kebab? <laughs> Couldn't move for doors being thrown open in the walls after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, this city uh, called Amida then faced three days and nights of slaughter. Oh. Which really puts you off your kebab. Mm. During the siege of Amida, a Roman envoy arrived, basically going, what's all this about then, guys? Are you seriously attacking? What, what is it that you want? Kavad detained the envoy until the city fell. The envoy watched the massacre and then was released to report back to Anastasius. Brutal. So, Anastasius raises some troops. The following war goes back and forward with no decisive battles. The Romans attempted to get Amida back, and then they attempted to take Nisibis by force, and the Persians attempted to take out one of the Roman generals by holding out at Edessa. Lots of sieging going on. Very little achieved for the first couple of years. Though. Bit of a stalemate again. Yeah. I mean, they hadn't done this for a while. Everyone was warming up still, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember which end of the sword goes in the enemy. <laughs> Ow! Not that end. <laughs> Eventually, however, the Romans take Amida back after a couple of years. Things were looking quite grim there by this point. Mm. Those residents that had survived the massacre after the Persians had taken over were starving. And one tale that got back to Constantinople was that the residents would go out at night, kidnap others in the city that were on their own and could not resist. Oh, they no. would take them home and cook them. Oh. According to the tale, the Persian general discovered this because of the smell of roasting. Oh. Where's the roast beef coming from? Just two really drunk monks <laughs> spinning a guy on a spit. Kebab, anyone? I'll <laughs> <On> my own. <laughs> yeah. He executed some of the women who were doing the cooking. This is the Persian general here. Okay. But apparently he did not forbid the eating of the meat. Oh. Probably Roman propaganda, this. Yeah. We, we just don't know how much of that is true. But they, they were the stories going around at the time. Eventually, the Romans suggested to the Persians that they give Amida up for a thousand pounds of gold. The Persians went, mm. yeah, okay then. Could do with the cash. Yeah, that will do. These negotiations seem to open up wider negotiations... And with Kavad now at war with the Ephelites, he was willing to agree to a seven-year truce. Nice. Like all the best wars, this war achieved literally nothing at all. Brilliant. The people in the region had suffered from both sides. The Roman citizens found that the Roman soldiers from the Danube region were just as bad as the invading Persians. Oh. One report from the time reads, They beat violently for a mere trifle. The cattle of some they carried off as if spoils of war. The clothes of others they stripped away. In front of the eyes of all, they ill-used the women in the streets. They took from everyone and spared nobody. Aww. When that's your own side, it's not good. It's better to be an independent. <laughs> yeah. Anastasius, meanwhile, learned from this war. He realised that they needed their own Nisibus. Mm. They needed their own good fortified city on the mouth of the Mesopotamia area. Since they couldn't have the real Nisibis, they built a new one at Daris. Yeah. Short distance, really close to Nisibis, but on the other side of the Roman border. <laughs> yeah. Like five metres away. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, 
practically touched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gavad wasn't too happy about this. Building forts in the area went against the peace treaty they had literally just signed. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but the Persians were busy fighting the Ephelites at this point, so Gavad wasn't able to do anything about it. Mm. So, new fort built. Tensions have risen with the Persians, but that's it for now with the Persians. Ah, oh, yes. But just know, all their back. For the next five, six years, things were relatively peaceful. Anastasius settles down to do some good old-fashioned ruling, attempting to improve the economy, which he does quite well with, more in success as Ultimus. Yeah, of course he would. However, there was, as ever, trouble brewing in the city. The patriarch of Chalcedon, a man named Macedonius, was not happy with Anastasius's hardly hidden monophysite leanings. Macedonius, however, was not hugely liked himself because he had backed the Henetacon, if you remember, that was the uh, the document that tried to find the middle ground between the Monophysites and the Orthodox. It pleased a lot, but the hardliners did not like it. And therefore, the hardliners in the Orthodox factions did not like Macedonius. And the Monophysites obviously didn't like him. So yeah. um, he wasn't the most popular man. So in an attempt to try and win some support back from the Orthodox factions... Macedonius goes hard on Anastasius for his Monophysite views. Oh. Yeah said some quite nasty things about him he did he's a poo-poo head yeah and worse he was trying to find a sort of pun on his nickname but nothing came to him dickius yeah there's not there's nothing there so. well you can only play with the hands you dealt yeah so anastasius retaliated by banishing him and replacing him with a known monophysite Ooh. named timothy <laughs> an intimidating figure <laughs> yes Timothy introduced into his services the phrase, who was crucified for us. Oh, yes. Okay, you're going to need a bit of context there, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> At the end of the lines, holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Mm. A standard part of the services. Yeah. At the time, they then said, who was crucified for us? Of course, implying that it was God who had been crucified. God Ooh. and Jesus have one nature. <gasps> oh, yes. The Orthodox in the church of St. Sophia started shouting to drown out this heresy. Before long, punches were being thrown, weapons obtained. The prefect of the city was forced to intervene, but not before several lay dead on the church floor. It's the Christian way. <laughs> yes, it is. But, as you probably won't be surprised to learn, it did not end there. The Orthodox followers rioted in the Forum of Constantine. Statues of Anastasius were torn down, and a man named Erebindus was declared emperor. Oh, Yeah, he was married to the granddaughter of Valentinian III, apparently, so people figured he'd do. Okay. Uh, Anastasius realises he's got to do something here. Mm. What would you do? Well, you could either send the army and just make the situation way worse, or make it really clear, no, I'm not a monosyllabic person. <laughs> What is it? Mono monophysite. 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 Yes. I'm not a monophysite. Yeah. I'm not. I'm no monorail. You're not far off there. He appeared at the Hippodrome, the arena completely packed with angry people. <laughs> Once a silence had descended on the crowd, he spoke. He lifted off his diadem and announced that he would abdicate. Ooh. Yes. As soon as they found someone better to rule. Nice. If not. With their permission, nice. he would carry on and promise never to cause the people upset again. Oh, the silver-tongued devil. Oh, yeah. 
you're not anyone can get away with that. You've no. got to have something about you to get away with that. He knows he's good. Yeah. He knows it's stable at the moment and it's he's like, the only one doing it. Yeah. It's like, I know you don't like my religion and you don't like some of my choices. But I also know that a lot of you realise I'm doing a good job here. So yeah. you can get rid of me if you want, if you want to make that bet. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really want me gone? Yeah, these theatrics were enough to save his rule. It helps that even though he was in his 70s by this point, he still he was cutting that imposing figure. I bet all the women were like, oh. Oh, yeah. And actually, the the old man wasn't actually that bad now they thought about it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's an Isaurian or anything. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> remember those days. So <laughs> the crowd slowly depart. But as always, trouble was just round the corner. In 513, word reached Anastasius that the commander of Thrace had revolted. Yeah. This was a man named Vitalian, the son of a general from the war with Persia. Vitalian was in Thrace. He had killed the leaders of the army, and he'd taken over. Okay. Oh, he was in a high-up position himself, but he wasn't, like, in charge. No. Well, he is now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had around 50,000 men. This was not a small uprising. This was a mixture of peasants and soldiers, and he was marching on the capital. Oh, dear. Anastasius acted immediately. Flash of genius here. What do you think he does first? Send an envoy. Try and delay them. Nope. He lowered the taxes for the surrounding area. So they fight for him. Yeah. Clever. He's very good. And he's using money to do it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, He's brilliant. He also set up bronze crosses on the gates of the city, explaining exactly what he thought was the cause of this rebellion. <laughs> so he made sure everyone knew his opinions. Mm. And uh, he gave everyone a tax cut. I'd vote for him. Here, we first see the effectiveness of the long walls, the ones built further out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're not even mentioned by the sources. <laughs> Italian clearly just walked straight through them. So, his forces reach the city and camp outside. Anastasius sends an envoy out to talk. Italian demands a return to orthodoxy and the grievances of the Thracian army to be met. The envoy stated that, obviously, we want to do what we can here, but really you should talk to the emperor... Why don't you all come inside and talk? <laughs> I'd like to think he said it that way. <laughs> Please step through the gates and walk through the kill zone, and then you'll have your meeting with the emperor. Yeah. In hell. <laughs> too much, too much. Tone it down a bit. Give it away. <laughs> Battalion, you'll be shocked to learn, refused. <laughs> However, a number of envoys from his side did go to negotiate. And they were treated very well, and they were promised that all their grievances would be dealt with, and then they were allowed to return. Hmm. Yeah. Vitellian, in the face of all his officers coming back and saying, you know, actually, this, uh, this emperor seems all right. Uh, I think he's going to deal with us. Uh, I don't think we need to be doing this anymore, Vitellian. Uh, Vitellian's then forced to agree and withdraw his men back to Lower Moesia. Wow. Anastasius then sends his newly appointed master of armies of Thrace, a man named Cyril. Oh, oh yeah. That's not someone I want to mess with. <laughs> oh, no. I'm loving it. It's all of a sudden the names are, are terrifying. Timothy and Cyril. <laughs> kill yes. that brute. But yes, he sends Cyril out to track down Vitellian and kill him. I imagine Cyril's like a character. Like um, from the Hogfather, what's his name? It's tea Time, it's Tea Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Imagine a bit like that. Yes. Vitellian, <laughs> yeah. uh, he was no dummy. He was expecting that uh, Anastasius wasn't just going to let this slide. Mm. So he was not caught off guard, and the two sides manoeuvre for a while. 
At last, however, Vitellian manages to bribe his way into Cyril's base and assassinate him. Assassinate Cyril? Oh, yes. Oh! Yeah. Not Cyril. Yeah, the assassin was assassinated. Vitellian is a, a worthy foe. Mm. Anastasius obviously not happy about this and declared Vitellian as an enemy of, of the Republic. Republic? Yeah, I'd like to think at that point someone put their hand up and went, really, are we still doing this, are we? <laughs> the Republic. Seriously, guys. <laughs> it's been like 600 years. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he was the enemy of the Republic. He then sends out a full army of 80,000 people to deal with the rebels. <laughs> Not soldiers, just people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably soldiers. <laughs> you there. <laughs> What's your name? Jeff? You got <laughs> Round up 80,000 of your friends. <laughs> What's a friend? <laughs> Just got off my pillow. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. These are soldiers, the Imperial forces. And they had victories early on, but soon found themselves being pushed back to the Black Sea. Ooh. According to one source, at this point, black magic from rebels caused the day to grow dark. <laughs> it's growing dark. It must be the black magic. Uh, sir, it's only clouds. <laughs> it's it's night time, sir. <laughs> no, black magic! Yeah. Look, it says nine o'clock and it's dark. <laughs> yeah, well, whether this was an eclipse or it was just a, like, night time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like, uh, like overcast day. Yeah, it was a dark day and the rebels attacked the Imperial forces. The Imperial forces suffer a huge defeat, losing perhaps 60,000 of their men. Oh, gosh, that's oh, a lot. Oh, yes, they were utterly crushed. Wow. One Imperial commander attempted to hide in the sea, but he was spotted because his head was poking out. <laughs> <laughs> we had to breathe. You there! <laughs> you can't see me. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fish. <laughs> blub, blub, blub. Yeah, he was held for ransom. Meanwhile, you'll be shocked to learn, back at the capital, there were... Riots! Riots, yes. These were put down, but the prefect of the watch was killed during these ones. Oh. Yeah. Meanwhile, Vitellian was on his way back to the capital. This time, he had ships. Ooh. Anastasius sends another envoy, and after talks, it was decided that Vitellian could become the master of armies for Thrace. He would also receive some cash... On top of this, the words, who was crucified for us, would be removed from the services, and a number of fired bishops would be reinstated. Okay. Oh, and a meeting between the heads of the Christian church, including the Pope from Rome, would get together and really talk about what's going on with the church nowadays. Like a full-on proper meeting, let's sort this, this shizzle out. Yes. However, fast forward a year, the meeting has not taken place, the bishops have not got their jobs back, Vitellian is starting to think that he's been played for a fool. So once more, he advances his forces on the capital. More men, more ships. Anastasius, however, was waiting. He had not wasted his time. And during this year, he had developed a secret weapon. It's quite clever, isn't it? It's not going to be some sort of... It'll be some sort of... It'll be something. <laughs> yes, What it is, is it? <laughs> this is a sulphur-based weapon. Oh, it's actually a weapon. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Anastasius sent out his own ships to meet the ships of Vitellian. Is this like Game of Thrones? Oh, yes. Under the command of a general named Marinus. Marinus had no experience whatsoever, but he was a trusted man. And once the enemy ships were close, he doused them with this new surprise weapon. We have 
no details, but it, it would appear that he essentially threw a liquid substance onto the other ships that quickly ignited, destroying them instantly. This appears to be the precursor to the famous Greek fire that's going to be mm. developed in a couple of hundred years. This is uh, the start of it here. We know how they did the Greek fire, don't we? Or is, um, there, is that sort of been lost? It's been lost to time. We, we can have educated guesses, but it's two centuries until that's developed. We'll talk okay. about it then, but just know that this is the first time we've seen anything similar to it. Chemical warfare, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Science. This surprise victory from nowhere caught Vitellian by surprise. He thought he had the upper hand on the sea. Mm. He did not expect all of his fleet to suddenly go up in flames instantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you throw matches down, you can sort of like quickly pat them out and stuff. Yeah. It's easy, but Yeah, they, they couldn't water would not douse the flames. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. In fact, Oil made it worse. Oh, really? Uh, possibly. It's hard. We don't have many details, but we get the feeling that the water made it worse. Imagine poor, poor, some, some poor soldier. Little tiny mini flame near his first. Ah, tip that out and just <laughs> tips his jerry can and all the water goes onto it. Yeah, yeah entire fleet. minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, Vitellian on the shore watching this, utterly shocked. Marinus is then able to land and defeat the land troops that are just... Uh, completely blown away by what's just happened. Vitellian then goes into hiding for the rest of Anastasius' rule. By this point, Anastasius, as you can probably figure out, is getting on in years. Yeah. Yeah. The oldest emperor we have yet seen. Okay. What he did not have, however, was an heir. He did have three nephews, however, so he started thinking about which one could succeed him. Now, according to the story, he invited his nephews to dine with him. After... They were to retire to a room and drink and talk, as per usual. But what they did not know is that Anastasius had placed under a pillow a piece of parchment with the word Regnum on it. Whoever chose that couch would be the next emperor. That's the equivalent of flipping a coin. Oh, yes. That's ridiculous. However, two of his nephews decided to share a couch. (sighs) Leaving one spare... You will not be shocked to learn that it's obviously the one with the parchment in it. Mm. Anastasius took this as a sign and realised that his line was due to end. He then dreamed that the first person he saw in the morning would succeed him. (laughs) You're right, Mr. Emperor. Klim to clear out your potty. Jeff, get out, get out. Just get out. (laughs) No. When when I said first person, I meant first person but him. Oh, okay. (laughs) Bye. After Jeff had left. The head of his guard walked in. A man named Justin. <laughs> Another great name. Yeah. I'm Justin. Just incredible. Yeah, that's what he said every time he went into a room. Yeah, got it's not, not funny now. Yeah. Anastasius bowed to his guard, realising that this was word from God. Now, I mean, this is all clearly ridiculous. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anastasius had no clear airs. Justin was in the position to take over after he died um, because he was head of the guard. But this is the story that was put forward by Justin. So, yeah, of course. Uh, okay. Yeah, just to add a bit of legitimacy for him. Right. Uh, but we'll save that really for, for next time because he is our next emperor. And in the year 518, Anastasius dies of old age. Oh, that's rare. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, that's he was it. good. Oh, it's also been how long? 1,000... 500 years since he died? Yes, it has. To the day, I say that. Yeah. Whenever you're listening to this. Yeah. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah. 
Okay, let's let's rank him. Fightiest Maximus. I think he did really well. Like in terms of fighty, well, he's gonna do well on all on all of them, I think. But fighty, I, I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go over it. Uh, he was old. He was old when he started, so therefore we can perhaps excuse the fact he does no personal fighting. But a lot happened under him. He was defeated by the Bulgars a couple of times. Oh, yeah, that's true. Although these were more skirmishes, smash and grab raids, rather than full-on wars. He fought a war against Persia. Yeah. And he didn't win or lose. Um, the... They started, though, to be fair. Yeah. He held them off. That's a good point. Uh, Vitellian and the Rebellion, it was close, but Anastasius wins in the end. So, uh, to sum that up, good... Despite all the fighting, he's not defeated so badly he loses his throne. No. He manages to hold back the Persians, like you say, and he put a revolt down using a secret weapon. That's true. Bad, he could not stop the Bulgar raids, and he did not win against the Persians. That's true. Um, also, he, he had that war built, possibly him, but, you know, extra line defence of the city, which was obviously pointless. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also he's negotiating his his way you know his way of fending off political fighting. I thought was very good. Yeah, political very fighting savvy. was good. Yeah, and also he he held off um, what's his name Battalion as well quite yeah. well. Oh, he beat the Isaurians as well. Oh, so yeah, I forgot Isaurians, to mention yeah. that. So that's another victory. I mean, it's not it's not amazing, but no, it's, well, it's it's not bad for his age. That's fantastic. I think. I think we're still in the same region as Zeno and Leo. It's it's above average, but it's not blowing me away. Don't decide between six and seven. I, I would go for six, but I'm putting a bonus point in there for mm. using a secret weapon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll put seven as well then. Okay. That is a total of 14 for Phytius Maximus. Approvium Crazium. Okay, he, he lets himself down here. Nothing at all. He was seen as intelligent, thoughtful, kind. He never rushed into decisions. He had no fits of anger or sudden outbursts. This isn't just me assuming this. These are things that his contemporaries noted about him. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost boring to a fault. Yeah, this is one criticism laid against him, that uh, life apparently was more boring in Constantinople than him. <laughs> Although you say that, all those riots, I can't imagine it was that boring. Um, the only thing against him, and the only reason history does not hold him in high esteem, is that he was a monophysite, which mm. caused a problem at the time. Uh, but I, historically, in retrospect, I don't think that's worthy of a point. I no. Mean, he, he caused a bit of unrest with his religious beliefs, but he, he wasn't awful with it. No. So, I, no, no, I, I can't give I him, can't him anything. anything. That is a zero. Success, Success. ultimate. Okay, good. The economy booms under him. You expected that, though, didn't we? So much so that he won the Greens round after they wanted Longinus. That's true. Yeah. He also introduced bronze coins that could be used by the average person on the street. Ever since the crisis, we have seen coins lose their value. Mm. Well, remember all that worthless currency that was floating yeah. around. And then we saw Diocletian come in and just set up a barter system. Yeah. Everyone was paid in kind and in services. Yes, I remember all that. Yeah, that's pretty much still going on. Okay. Until now. Okay. Anastasius introduces a 40 Sterci coin, a 20, a 10, and a 5, and each of them were clearly marked. These were used for centuries. Also, using this, tax could now be collected in currency. Wow. Yeah, for the first time in a very long time, soldiers could also be paid using coin once more. Oh, my goodness. Do, yeah. do you think some of the soldiers got it and thought, what, what's this? Where's my bread? Tried munching on it. <laughs> yeah. Can't eat this. Taste of blood. 
Oh, that's copper, isn't it? <laughs> the state would now pay in coin, and that means the soldiers could buy their own equipment. Oh. That means that the state no longer had to buy all the things for their soldiers, which means oh. that they could afford to pay the soldiers more. Wow. In turn, this increases the amount of native Romans to enter the army, so we have less of a reliance on barbarian foreigner troops, which yeah. we've seen a lot of. Mm. This was generally seen as a good thing. Yeah. He manages to crack down on corruption, especially when it linked to finances, although he himself still sold positions. <laughs> you obviously saw himself as uh, above that particular law. Um, but he did that generally to raise money for the state, not personally. So yeah, I don't okay. think it's, it's too bad. He completely confiscated all of Zeno's property and just threw that into the treasury as well. Okay. Generally, trade and business thrived under this government, and he was able to save. Anastasius died, leaving £320,000 of gold in the treasury. That is wow. the equivalent of £15 million in Victorian times. Oh, wow. Yeah. How much is that now? Oh, I do. I just like the 15 million in Victorian times. That's nice. Yeah. Justin, and in particular Justinian, who follows him, would not have been able to do anything that they do without this financial buffer that Anastasius creates. Nice. So, there's all of that. Bad. His reign is full of riots. Yeah. Perhaps he should have done something about that. Uh, we did. He banned the, banned, he banned the, the kill fest. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, uh, that's really all I've got for, for bad. I mean, it, it's See, pretty successful. He didn't expand the empire. No. But he kept it very stable, and he improved it for the everyday person, which is what we originally said success Sultans was about. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm very... I'm going to give him a nine. Oh, I don't think I'm quite in nine territory. I'm impressed. I'm going to go for eight, but it is very good. I am very impressed. That is a 17 for successors Ultimus. Image of face. I can see the, I can saw an image of a coin, but I didn't see it on the coin, so I can do a side view. Well, actually, we have two coins. So I found a, a website that displayed about 20 of his coins. So I picked the one that showed him clearest, but I also selected one that was one of his new coins that he'd uh, issued. Okay. Yeah. I just can't, I can't get a side party on a coin, unfortunately. No. That is... Uh, a good look. A tash. He's got a tash. Oh, interesting. Right, okay. There we go. That's what he looked like. Oh! Oh! Looks like he's had a blowtorch to his eye socket. <laughs> it's not a good rendition of an eye, is it? It's like his face has melted. I, I don't know how you do a really old-looking person, but uh, they it's didn't succeed it. He, no. I'd say he looks in his 30s. Yeah, he looks really good, but I guess black eye. I, uh, yeah. It's idealised, though. It'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? Interestingly, the other coin... Ooh. Seems to have a bit of a beard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just like the lower jaw, mm. which is interesting. But out of like the 20 old coins I saw, this was the only one I saw with the beard. Yes, it's a bit like your beard. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he must be cool then. Yes, definitely. Ten points. Yeah, so um, that's... I mean, they're, they're not bad as coins images go. Mm. Um, it's got a nice robe on. Got a nice hat. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing special. So... Let's go to reverse. Yes. Here we go, here we go, who we got, who we got? Um, We've got... An angel? Yeah, I think that's an angel holding a cross and is that, that his keys? Could be food, there's a wheat behind. Is that not his wing? Oh, it's part of the wing, yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's like he's dangling something, almost mm. like you're dangling your keys in front of the cat. Could be testicles. 
Maybe, maybe. He, he doesn't look like an ant man or a fish man. He's got he looks no like face. a fish man. He's got he's got a, a bit, tail and a flipper. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a bit like bit bit mermaidish. And a shroud. I swear they're they're like shell cups on his you know chest. Yeah. Okay, we're still with the fish people then. Yeah. Reverse on the other one. Big just M. Massive M, and that that's what I was talking about. Nice clear denominations of uh, of coinage. There you go. That, that's uh, that's his coin. Meh. It's nothing amazing. Nothing stands out. I mean, I, I like the fact he's got a beard in one. That means he changed his style at one point. Or the person doing the coin was rubbish. Not seen that reverse at all. It's got a mermaid on it. No, it's mermaid <laughs> angel. Yeah. And that's, that's not bad. No, that's pretty unusual. Mm. I'm going to go for a straight five. Are you? Yeah. I was going for lower than I was going for three. I'm not okay. at all. So that's a two for Imago Facius, which I, I believe is what we've given the last two in a row, isn't it? Why are they rubbish? Yeah. They need to step up their game, don't they? Right. Last round. Temple completed. So, how, how long do you think he lasts? I think... It... Like 15 years, maybe? He became emperor when he was 60. Yes, I mean, it'd be... You won't, w- would not expect this to last long, would you? From 491 to 518. Oh, wow. 27 wow. years. Wow! That's insane. He'd only lived two-thirds of his life when he came into power. <laughs> That's he insane. died when he was 87. Wow! He is, if my quick check is correct, the oldest emperor in all of Roman history to be serving. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And did it damn well. So that's a, a total score of 36.38. It's not bad. That's really good. It's a, I mean, it's no 40s club, but... No. That's admirable, though. Yeah, I mean, you can see why the East managed to continue. We have now yeah. had, in a row, a good few solid emperors. Yeah. Nothing amazing, no. but no one completely inept for quite no. a while. We're doing well. Yeah. But... Does he deserve it? Do they have a certain I really want to give it to him. Oh, yeah? Why? Because he did really well. Like, he brought things back that the Empire hasn't seen for decades. Yeah, his, his work on the economy is, is outstanding. Yeah. And he developed a secret weapon to put down a revolt that it looked yeah. like he was going to lose. Mm. Uh, people were revolting against him all the time, but he still managed to... He nullified not... them all. Well, yeah, he stepped in front of the crowd who wanted his head oh. and just went, get rid of me if you want. Do you want? That's... Yeah. Oh. So there's actually three reasons. I think that's enough. I think that's enough. I am actually very impressed with Anastasius. I'm very impressed. Uh, he does not go down in history as a particularly well-liked emperor, but mainly because the history books were written by people who hated monophysites. So he, he gets a bad rap. But uh, we've corrected that right yeah. now, because I'm actually quite impressed. I'm with very him. impressed. Okay. He's got it. So, well done, Anastasius. You have Gene César. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you might be able to tell. We, we've run out of poppers. Oh, I'll get some more. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy some legit ones this time. Yeah, like party cannons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indoor fireworks. Yeah, that'd be good. Right, right, there you go. He's done. I'm yeah, impressed with him. Next time, Justin. Mm. Let's see if he amounts to anything. Oh. Is he the famous one everyone talks about? That's no, Justinian. He's next after Justin. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll see if he amounts to anything. But he doesn't. We'll see, we'll see. Right, well, all that needs to be said then is thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate all the support that uh, you guys give us, especially those of you who contact us over Facebook and Twitter. And yeah. 
and get the word out about us. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you can also, of course, join our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter if you want. Don't bother Instagram. And download <laughs> us from Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Yes, and if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be a huge, huge help. Yeah. It really would. Um, if you've not got round to it yet, we would hugely appreciate yeah. it if you did. And if you've not listened to our President's Podcast yet, then go and listen to that. We've, we've just finished George Washington. And that was really interesting. Oh, yes. Some more yeah. modern history as well. Check yeah. it out. I'm in the middle of reading about John Adams. Yeah. Yeah. So, good stuff. That one will be out next week. Cool. Right. All that needs to be said then is... Get off my chuffing horse! Goodbye. Goodbye. And remember, guard these walls with your lives. Yes, sir! That's him gone. Hey, hey. Sebastian. Yeah. Have this. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, you dog. Oh, that's gone. Have a bit of a tipple. Not too much, though. Okay. Gotta keep our wits about us. That's fine. Just, Just two fingers. So, where'd you get hold of this? Oh, well, uh... Secret stock I've got in my basement. If they ever get through these walls, at least I know they'll never find the Rioja. What about the cigars? <laughs> Don't worry, I have these there. Uh... Oh, good. We need a few yes. Cubans, I'm sure. I'll tell you what, though. You what? Yeah, he, he, he came over the fence. Yeah. He grabbed my cap yeah. and threw it back over. He didn't even have a paint bucket. I, but isn't that breaking the rules of the game? It is. It's meant to be a football, not a cat. It's insane. My wife went mental. Look at them. Yeah. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Like, and then just squash their heads. Squash their heads. Squash their heads. I've got a question for you. What? What? Uh, Are they really small or just really far away? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just squashing their heads. Squashing their heads. What is war anyway? When you get down to it, is it not? Is it not an extension of peace? Because, right, if we're all peaceful, then surely we're getting on. We're getting on, we're getting on. Oi! <laughs> we're getting on. I love you, Come on, Barry, give me a hug! Uh, they, they, uh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't. They're under orders. They're working for the man. We're the same or something. We're the same. We believe the same. Whoa, can you hear that? The kebab's here! Yay! Yay! That's a sad surprise <laughs> for whoever organised oh. the party. <laughs> uh, I've got some um, presents in my class. Well, too like, like I'm doing a raffle with them to win two little chocolate bunny rabbits. Yeah. I told them we have to be quick with it because there's two live bunny rabbits inside. <laughs> the best prize I ever gave for my class was a cold chip. Nice. 
they got really excited by it because I kept building it up. It was the cold chip of victory, and they were really trying hard to win that chip. I, I had, a few years ago, I bought a little uh, medical eye patch. It's called an iPad on it. So I said, the winner, <laughs> the winner of this one wins the iPad. Again, built that up quite a while. Oh. I think I, I, was a bit, I wasn't cool enough to actually let them know that it was... You know, I didn't let them believe it when I had. No. Anyway. <laughs> We're horrible people. We are horrible people.